What's up, boys? This is Jam Chris from the Order 66 Podcast. And uh, as one GM who uh, runs a dead game to another, love the show. Every week I tune in to Roll Some Initiative. D20 Radio, your gamers roll. Roll for initiative. Welcome back, folks, to the Roll for Initiative podcast, issue number 34. Yes, we're getting up there in numbers, and this week is our special Halloween episode. We're going to bring you the Halloween issue. That's right. We're going to bring you everything spooky that's not spooky. And, well, Nick's talking, so that's spooky enough, wouldn't you think? Hey. <laughs> I am DM Vince, your host, Hi. along with uh, my other host, uh, DM Nick and DM Jason. How you doing, guys? Hey, hey. Doing all right. So we got a great show this week, right, guys? Absolutely. We got the one we've been uh, waiting for with all of the forums buzzing and giving us ideas. Thanks, everybody. We're going to try to do some of those ideas tonight, as you'll hear. And we're going to have some spooky, scary stuff to talk about. And that's going to end the show for tonight. Quiver already. (laughs) Yes. So let's uh, let's take care of business and we can move on real quick. Uh, What's going on with the website? All right, so we have uh, a great new plus two to save from Todd Hughes, uh, who is, by the way, almost uh, ready to go with his new module, which uh, I'll announce the name of as soon as it's out. But uh, we're all kind of doing a little bit of work on that. I'm actually uh, doing the layout for it. And then Hanai, who does all of our great artwork for Roll for Initiative, is working on a really great demon for the cover. So that'll be pretty scary, too. Uh, but his article that he has up right now is perfectly appropriate for Halloween. It is all about zombies. Loving it. It's called Brains for Dinner, Brains for Lunch. And Todd has created uh, his own type of zombie, one that's a little bit more uh, deadly to take down. So I definitely would recommend people go and check that out on the site. I like it. I like it. Cool. Very cool. Yeah. Uh, Buzz put up his article, too, I believe. Oh, yeah. Wait, well, let me take a look. Ah, uh, that one. Uh, oh, the Tetrahedral? Is that his? Yeah, he had another one that he, we talked about briefly the last time, but he finally published it. Oh, maybe I missed it. Hang on a second. Let's take a look here. Is that Let Me Hear the Money Talk? or is One of the articles. Just Okay. Well, yeah, definitely go and take a look. I don't see actually. Maybe he hasn't published it yet, but oh, I know Buzz bad. has got some PC. Buzz has got some new stuff going up. So, and uh, the forums cool. are buzzing like heck. I yeah, actually showed up. <laughs> it's about time. I actually posted something this time. Yeah, it's about time. <laughs> I might have to go on and see. So Chuck is still our top poster. Well, uh, actually, he's not. He's not. Actually, last was our top poster, but we, uh, I moved her into uh, the moderator section. That's so Chuck, right. So Chuck is our top poster at the moment. Oh, yes. he was dethroned for a while, though. Yeah, last was uh, practically doubling his numbers in posts at one point. Wow. Well, then <laughs> congratulations, Lass, on being our first community moderator. Yes. Yay. She is so, the uh, uh, enforcer there right now. So. Huzzah. Huzzah is right. 
So, so Chuck is one of the few people that is up to thaumaturgist. Mm-hmm. Um, but we have a few people up to things like theurgist, like Red. So, you know, people are moving up in the levels on the forum. And a lot of really yeah. good stuff uh, in there. And even a couple of things in the flea market, I see. So that's nice. Yeah, there was a really good tip on Facebook about uh, following those uh, forums. Yes, I don't know who said it, but they were right. You can actually follow the uh, – there's a group RSS that you can click on, and you can just put it in a feed for your favorite uh, RSS reader. Yes, it's at the bottom left-hand side, and it's a lot easier to navigate through that than it is the forum. So. Mm. Can be. Mm-hmm. Yes. And uh, so, Nick, stars, what do we got? What's, what are we yeah. pimping for? Yeah, we got a couple stars on iTunes again. Uh, two five-star ratings. Ah, beautiful. Uh, first one is from uh, DM Iron Fist. Oh. And he says, my day, Dungeon Masters and Delinquents. <laughs> he says, hello, DMs. This is DM Iron Fist. Love the show. I, I started playing D&D with 3.5 edition, but shifted over to AD&D first edition because I find that it's a better system that provides for better role-playing. I'm only 15 and a sophomore in high school as well as a dungeon master, so it's nice to kick back after a stressful day at school and listen to one of your shows, even if it's just a rerun. Keep up the good work. All right. You know, now I know who that is. Okay. I've actually chatted to him a couple of times online. Oh, did you? Real, real smart guy. Really cool guy. Mm. Uh, he was tell- He taught me some stuff about Bruce Lee that I didn't know. So uh, cool, dude. Oh, he has a sweet. Has an email for us later on in uh, Sage Advice too. Oh, great! Excellent. Wow. Excellent. Uh, and here's our other one from James Carpio. He said the podcast I have been waiting for. So, oh, James Carpio. That's uh, the Icons uh, guest director. Oh, cool. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, he says, I am very picky when choosing a podcast to listen to. I go on and off with most, but Roll for Initiative has a lot to offer. The hosts are entertaining, informative, and have a passion for the game and topics. I would recommend this podcast to anyone who has a love for AD&D First Edition, old gamers like myself, or anyone who just wants to be entertained and learn a bit of gaming history. Take a listen. I know you will be hooked. So thank you, Mr. Carpio. That's awesome stuff. Awesome. If you want to jump on iTunes and give us a rating, we'll uh, read it as well. Anytime. Yep. Get your shouted out name with the five stars. Absolutely. And we'll read it out no matter what it is. Yes, even the four stars. Even the, <laughs> even the four stars. You <laughs> betcha. Okay, uh, I think we'll head over into Sage Advice. Sage Advice. Okay, Sage Advice. Uh, tonight we have a voicemail and an email, but we'll start off with the uh, voicemail, who comes in directly from Lass, and we'll play that right now, guys. Here we go. Hi, this is Lass, and I have a question for the RFI podcast. So, in light of this being Halloween, I was wondering if you guys could tell us what some of the best ways for creating a mood that might fit the holiday spirit. How does one convey a sense of doom and dread in their Dungeons and Dragons game? Happy Halloween, fellas. Bye-bye. So how will we do that? Well, we'll have to answer that in the next segment. <laughs> yeah, in the next But I do have one question for last. Is she from Ireland? Yes. Okay. 
She's uh, <laughs> from Ireland to New York now, she says. Oh, okay. So she's a, okay. She moved from Ireland to New York. Okay, cool. Well, I think she was actually going to join Jason in one of those games that he was planning. Uh, you never know. Uh, you know, we've been getting, there's, I'm discovering so many different gaming groups here in the city that I think at one point or another, probably <laughs> our paths will cross. Cool. Cool. Okay. I did mention, uh, didn't I, the uh, the gaming group Redbox? Yes. Uh, the Redbox gamers here. Yeah. Yes. I just yes, wanted you did. to uh, say I I don't think I've we've talked since uh, we played since I played Gamma World with those guys. Oh, yeah. uh, The other week, Re- uh, you know, about four of the guys from Redbox, really mm-hmm. cool bunch. They're kind of kind of a similar thing to what the Dead Game Society is doing over in Chicago, and I just wanted to mention that. If anybody's uh, interested, we should put a link up to the Redbox gamers because they're really cool. Cool. Oh, cool, all right? Absolutely. So thanks, Lass. Uh, we'll be answering that question next segment as we've based our table manners around that mm-hmm. uh, for setting the mood. But uh, let's get on to our first uh, written email. It comes from DM Iron Fist. Oh, yeah. Hey, Good sounds old. familiar. I think I heard that guy's name before. He says, hi, guys. <laughs> Love the show. Five stars to you. Thank you. This email is concerning Lass's question and sage advice of issue number 33. In the question, she asked if monks could dodge any attack with the saving throw, and if you declare that it can only be done for missile attacks, and you declared it can only be done for missile attacks, excuse me. However, you never addressed the line after the missile part, which caused the question in the first place, quoted from the player's handbook, dot, dot, dot. In other respects, if a monk makes his or her saving throw against... In attack form, the, the monk will sustain no damage from the attack, even if the attack was f- form was a fireball, for instance. Last was trying to get across that it does not specify an attack form, therefore melee is counted. Any form of help would greatly be appreciated, as the monk is my favorite class, and this potentially would change how I play them. DM Iron Fist. Okay, so, so yeah, so Ooh. Iron Fist is the one that we know uh, knows quite a bit about some of the... Uh, of Bruce Lee and some of his philosophy, right. and, you know, yeah. just that as yeah, well. So I can see that. why he'd like the monk. Um, mm-hmm. And I think we probably have a lot of listeners who uh, would fall into that same camp. Yeah. So yeah. monks are cool. Let's let's find that line again. Where where was it? Uh, player's um, handbook. I don't know. He didn't say what page. It's in the player's handbook. Okay. I know so that. paladins, bonuses, master. There's a lot of things in here. Um, I don't actually see the thing about the saving throw. So if anybody has an idea where it might be. I don't know. The way, I think the way we mentioned it last time was that the the intent seemed to be that it was about hurled objects rather than um, melee attacks. Hand-to-hand. Exactly. Yeah. And uh, in, in the absence of being able to find where this thing is in here, I'd still kind of stick with that. I think that the idea is that they're supposed to be able to dodge things that you throw at them, even if they're a fireball. Even there. Yeah. Hmm. Yeah. Um, here we go. Uh, it, it, it's on. It's on page thirty. It's about near the bottom of the page on the right, and it says monks make saving throws. Uh, non-magical missiles, which would normally hit, can be dodged or knocked aside. And I suppose that's a saving throw. Yeah, the saving throw against petrification for each such potential hit says right okay. in the book. Good. And then if other, in other respects, if a monk makes his or her saving throw there against an attack form, the monk will sustain no damage from the attack, even if it was a fireball, for instance. 
Um, actually, that is that isn't so confusing now that I read it again. If a monk, in other respects, if a monk makes his saving throw against an attack form, the monk will sustain no damage from the attack. So what he's what he's, they're trying to say here is that if you have something like fireball, where normally save would do say half damage. <coughs> I'm not sure. I'm just. I think it's what it is. Instead of just half damage, like some would get, the monk gets no damage. Right. So right. that's actually a totally separate thing from the first part. The first part is saying for non-magical missiles, you know, arrows or stones or whatever. In addition to the normal armor class, the monk also gets a saving throw. And then for magical attacks, which would normally get a saving throw to reduce the damage, instead of just reducing, it completely eliminates the damage. That's all it is. So, if the, if they could, like, pretend, they could dodge a fireball, mm-hmm. could they potentially dodge magic missiles? No. The magic missile spell? No, because there's no saving there's throw, no saving for, a throw for magic missiles. Okay, so, I see what you're saying. It, the description of the, of the missile-type magical attack, like a fireball, has mm-hmm. to have some sort of saving throw associated with it. Oh, okay. I guess you could think of it this way. So if you look at the fireball, uh, it does half damage on a save, right. meaning right. that the monk is able to actually dive completely out of the way of the fireball somehow. But the magic missile is more of like a heat-seeking missile or something. It always gets its target. It doesn't really matter mm-hmm. what you do. So the monk, even the monk can't dodge that. It's an auto-hit no matter what. Yeah. And, you know, they're not that bad. We were uh, playing last week, and one of my players, who normally plays 3.5, uh, was really excited to find out that his magic missiles were going to hit every time. And then when a couple of them hit, and he realized they didn't really do that much damage. <laughs> yeah. It wasn't such a I mean, he's a first-level magic user, so, oh, well. Yeah. At least he hit. He was happy to have hit. Oh, well. So if you'd like to write in, rfistaff at gmail.com. Go to the website. There's a contact form, rfipodcast.com. Or you can uh, send in a voicemail like last did uh, directly to the email. Go to the site. There's a voice number there or uh, the uh, Google voicemail. Be prepared to uh, talk as soon as the Google voicemail goes off because it calls you right back. And I think that'll end Sage Advice unless you guys have anything else to say. I got nothing. <laughs> I had something and I totally forgot. So I, apparently I got nothing. Okay. Sorry, I'm being attacked by zombies. Let's head into uh let's let's shamble into table manners. Typical of all the evil creatures in the world, I find one table now for table manners. So since last brought up the topic, let's let's go into that. Let's talk about setting the mood. So here we are with our Halloween episode, and uh, hopefully a lot of our listeners will be playing some D&D this Halloween. Yeah. Oh, and yeah. if you're going to do that, how do you go about making a properly spooky game where you can still see the dice? Mm. Um, you use glow-in-the-dark dice and candles. Well, okay, so first of all, glow-in-the-dark dice, even before we go into anything else, uh, we took glow-in-the-dark dice with us on our camping trip and discovered that they glow amazingly well for the first 30 seconds. And after that? <laughs> yeah, so... Not I, I so think, much. <laughs> unless you've got some dice that have, like, little glow sticks in them, 
uh, that's probably not the answer, but maybe a black light. So there, there's obviously, mm. I think we hit on the first thing, your lighting. I mean, everybody can expect lighting to be part of mm. setting the mood, right? Yeah, sure. Absolutely. You know, the obvious candles or. Uh, well, I mean, that's kind of what I was thinking. Down. How about black lights? That would be really good. Could, yeah, that would be really cool. I could see that. Yeah, especially because you do have to see the dice. I mean, if if nothing else, yeah. maybe you could have like a little area where you're just where the dice are being rolled. That's your black lights. Yeah. Or if you're playing with minis, you know, some the same thing. In uh, fact, that reminds me when you just mentioned the black lights. I did play in a game with black lights involved. It was at Origins. Uh, it was a Call of Cthulhu game. Oh, um, okay, well, good. Goes without saying. So. Uh, it was run by a great group of folks called uh, Rogue Cthulhu. They always run great games there, and they have their own section there, and it's all under black lights. So, and they do all their. And this is something you could probably use if you want to use a horror um, based D and D game. You know, do the black lights, and maybe do some uh, stuff with the, uh, you know, with the I guess the day glow colors. Because they the come up really bright, yeah. Well the fluorescence, yeah. Sure. They come up, yeah. So I just remembered that, you know, you jogged my memory in that. So that that might be something you could do, you know. This is, oh yeah, yeah. Uh, just time. just general kind of uh, ambient sounds that you can set up. I think it, a lot of it depends on how techy you are too. Right. You yeah. know, if you're somebody who's really. Uh, a bit of an electrical engineer and really likes to get techie, you can pick up some Arduino boards, you know, those little uh, basically like build your own printed circuit kind of setups. And you could have all kinds of triggers set up so that as the game's going, you could have a strobe light set to go off or you could have different uh-huh. sounds that you had ready to trigger. Um, you name it. If you're less technically inclined, you're not ready to start setting up all that sort of things. Just Just have them around and maybe get some switches just kind of like, where you can reach them. Oh, spooky. Oh. Yeah. <laughs> Why not dry ice? Yeah, that'd work. For a little uh... dry ice can be a little expensive though, can it? Well, okay, so I've never bought dry ice. I mean, I always hear about it, but where do I don't even know where you go to get that stuff. Fish market? Uh, yeah, I think supermarket, so, you know. And is it is it safe to pick up? Can you hold no. it in your hands? No. No, what you got to wear gloves. Yeah, you get like a cold burn. Yeah. Because yeah, because it's frozen carbon dioxide, if I recall. Yes, and it's, but it's safe to breathe, right? Uh, it's okay. Yeah, they use it a lot of times for movies too. So yeah, okay. You can also buy those fog machines. Yeah, that's what I was just thinking. <laughs> but I can tell you from all the time that I spent, you know, either in a band or touring with bands, those things really get in your throat. Yeah, you, they mm-hmm. they make it hard to breathe. Yeah. They really so the can. dry ice might be a way to go. That might be the thing. Just get a, a one block of dry ice and just let it go. Yep. So, okay, so, so we got some dry ice. We got black lights and maybe some candles. Uh, be careful with your candles as far as where you put them, obviously. Yeah, we do. Um, <laughs> <laughs> got to be careful with the candles. Yes. yes. My character and just burned what about up? sounds? <laughs> oh, yeah. Like flatulent sounds? Oh, sorry. No. That's one type of horror, but it's not the one <laughs> yes, we're looking for. Yes, it is, for. especially if you got the candle too close. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> uh, I would say you could set up speakers in the rooms and have certain 
you know, a tape recorder, or well, who uses a tape recorder anymore, but a CD player <laughs> ready to go. Obviously, you didn't look at my blog this week. <laughs> no, I didn't look at your blog this week, sorry. You have to see, I got, I got a new piece of technology, and I did an unboxing for it. I managed to get a, like, from the mid-'80s, a PhoneMate dual-cassette answering machine, brand wow. new, never opened in the box. Cool. And what yeah, are you, so. What are you doing if you with call my home, I'm using it because I didn't have an answering machine at home. Okay. Yeah, I'm just saying tapes, man. It's all about cassettes are fine. Yeah, can you still buy them? It came with its own cassettes with a cool 80s geometric pattern on the cassette. Oh, I love it. Yeah. So, anyways. <laughs> uh, so, if you've got a tape or you've got uh, some type of a digital player or you've got a reel-to-reel or a gramophone that might have some sounds on it. Right. You know, there's some, um, as far as, like, ambiance music, there's these... I think everybody's heard of these guys, Midnight Syndicate. Oh, yeah, yeah. I guess they do some really good ambiance music for, like, Wild Wolf, or, you know, what was it, uh, World of Darkness and, yeah. or whatever. Vampire and, the Masquerade, uh, yep. Yeah. And uh, I, I've i heard some of the stuff, and it's very good. I think that would, you know, that would be perfect. Um, good tip. You know, that's the thing. We We don't talk about LARPing on the show because this is not that kind of a show. Uh, but it's personally, I don't judge. If you're into it, you're into it. Uh, but this is a place where uh, we could learn a couple of tips from the Vampire the Masquerade and LARPing types mm-hmm. in terms of, you know, just looking for things that they do to set the mood. Not to actually right. do any of those things, but you know, could you... We t- we've talked before on the show about handouts to have mm-hmm. during the show. Well, I think if you're going to be... First of all, if you're doing a spooky... Uh, atmosphere for your D&D game on Halloween, you should probably be playing a spooky module. So hopefully you're oh, already yes. doing something like Tomb of Horrors or Ravenloft or something that you yourself have created with lots of undead. And uh, so why not go ahead and create some things that might be handouts that would spook out your players a little bit too? Yeah, oh, yeah. True. You know, I bring the, hit, hit the Halloween store. Go ahead and get yourself some bones. Oh, and yeah. Some, Get yeah, some slime. <laughs> yeah. I know uh, the, the great Joe DM, when we played over his house one time, he actually took the time out to write a bloody message on the wall. Oh, God. And, oh, it went, wow. and then when it was time, he flashed the light on it. We didn't know it was there. And then that was part of our hook for the adventure. So it was kind of cool. Yeah, that would totally. Cool. I, that freaks me out just thinking about it. The yeah, idea of having cool. this dark wall and then all of a sudden... You know, a little thunderclap and a, when the light goes on, and you see the. Ah! Yeah, it was really cool. I was like, wow, Joe, you really went out for this one. Spooky. Oh, scared of myself. Oh. No, blah, blah, nothing, blah. nothing scared me when I was a little kid as bad as mirrors. Like, because when I was a little kid, I read the Amityville yeah. horror. They printed and... it in the National Enquirer. They yeah. printed the story yep. of the Amityville yeah. horror. And I picked it up and I read that when I was like six or something. And they were talking about the faces and the mirror and the right. messages appearing. Oy, oy, oy. And you know what's funny? Even stuff like that when we were kids, like the whole Bloody Mary thing. Bloody mm-hmm. Mary. My kids have picked up on it now. It's yeah. still that whole right. legend about the Bloody Mary. Mm-hmm. Is that that's the like mirror. Canada, right? Yeah. My my kids my 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 oldest daughter kind of picked up on it a, like a year or two ago from her friends and I'm like I'm still surprised kids like still hear about that stuff. 
it's all urban well, legends. Proper. But that's like that's still like good inspirational stuff. I think we're also talking about like things to inspire your game to be like like you were saying, Jason, to be uh, scary, horrific, or what have you. Um, you can look into some of these urban legends. Um, I guess one that's been floating around lately is this one that called the uh, what the heck is he called the the Thin Man or the uh, wow I have no idea what you're talking about. Yeah, there's this one like internet urban legend kind of thing, something like called the Thin Man or the uh, the Skinny Man or something like that. Mm-hmm. I forget what it was. And what does he but do? Slender Man is coming for Slender you. Man. That's it. Slender Man. Thank you. Yes. Yes, I looked that up, and it was started just as some innocuous thing on a message board forums, and it just kind of snowballed into this whole urban legend about the Slender Man and how he comes and gets kids and takes them away from, like, playgrounds, and and uh, it, it's, it's kind of like that whole Candyman or the uh, a Bloody Mary kind of thing. I'm looking but at a really like, cool piece of artwork somebody did on DangerousMinds.net of the mm-hmm. Slender Man, and uh, this is good. Yeah. yeah, this is a this is great inspiration for creating. That's creepy stuff. When I was, yeah, a, I mean, that, when I was a kid, my grandparents used to scare the heck out of me by saying the legend of the Indian woman used to come at night and would if little kids didn't go to sleep like they were supposed to, and they were told was, would come into the bedroom if you were not asleep would take you outside and hang you by your thumbs on the clothesline. Ah! <laughs> and you'd be out there and no one would be able to hear you screaming all night long until the morning. Wow, that's a good thing. That's a nice thing to do to a kid. Yeah, I know. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> they used to always... Oh, my God. They used to scare them when we were kids. Oh, my like, God. My grandmother would never do that. My grandmother loved me. <laughs> we were bad kids. My grandmother Sorry, I just sick. can't wait to see the new Zach Galifianakis film, so... I, I mean, I'm thinking of, like, other places that get inspiration, like... Uh, one of the shows I listen to, I think I talked about before, Coast to Coast AM, that comes on late yeah. at night. They always talk about ghosts and, and demons and everything like that. You can get some inspiration from that, how you can maybe you know, throw some sort of plot hook into a game and just kind of run with it. I mean, there's so well, much stuff out, out there. Since, since you mentioned George Nury, uh, yes. one of the, what I have found to be one of the spookier things that you can have happen to you as a player is abductions oh yeah yeah i just i just got a shiver down my spine when you talked about it (laughs) yeah i mean whether you're the player who gets abducted or whether the players are walking along and suddenly one of them's missing it's great it's classic stuff yeah but you also have to remember where to draw the line with these things too not to go too far that it's too disgusting that oh no i'm thinking just abductions as in you know they disappear and you know where did they go I'm not a fan of gross-out scare. You know, gross-out stuff is totally different, and that's not scary. That's just, you know, that's just turn your stomach gross. Well, it's like when you – it's just the thing about horror films is that I like – I like Jacob's Ladder type horror films. Right. But I don't – I think it's so cheap when a horror film, the way that they scare me is by making a loud noise or showing me something gross. I'm like, that's not frightening. That's just shocking and – Anybody can do that. I think the best type of horror, and I think even DMs can use this if you're running a game with a, some sort of horror element, is the best way to do it is you just open the door a peak. 
you only give the players a peek, you know, you only explain just enough or you just, you know, just a glimpse, leave the rest to the players imagination because their imagination will be good enough to get them scared. Are you, are you reading out of the Cthulhu book? No, but that's a good lead, and when we get there, <laughs> that's a direct Maybe line. Maybe I'm wrong me. about this, but I've never seen anybody write a uh, adventure based on Ichabod Crane. Am I wrong about that? Oh, like oh yeah, like Legend of Sleepy Hollow. No, yeah, yeah, no one has. Yeah, I don't think so either. That uh, it would be that would make such a great adventure. Headless Horseman would be awesome. Yeah, as a uh, as a. As a evil, as a bad guy to go up against. I, oh my gosh! Yeah. You know, I think I'd like to throw down the gauntlet to our listeners. Uh oh. Um, you know, a lot of times I've seen the people have been putting up some great modules over the years, uh, putting things up on Dragon's Foot, putting you know, publishing through Lulu and all of that, mm. which is great. Uh, it's a lot of work to write to write a good adventure. I mean, we've probably oh, yeah. all seen that, but. It's not so, quite so much work to just write a good plot, you know, not to go ahead to all the way of writing everything. So I think it would be cool if more people just wrote some storylines and hooks. Mm-hmm. And let's start a forum on that just for good storylines and hooks, because I'll bet a lot of people have some good stories in them. They just yeah. haven't taken the time to turn them into big, long adventures yet. I'd like to see the, some stats for the Headless Horseman. That would be really oh, yeah. cool. Absolutely. Blah. Blah. <laughs> okay, so should we make this campaign-ish or just a one-shot thing? Hmm. I don't think I could handle a whole campaign of yeah. undead and horror. Some people, I mean, well, we'll talk about Cthulhu next. Some people absolutely yeah. could. But for me, it, it would it would wear me down. You know, Get old too fast. I, I could... You know, I could think of maybe for a short period in a in a campaign that's you know something that you're have something ongoing, maybe for a few sessions, but um, for that prolonged, I I don't think I could do it. I mean, so I know there were some people that were like real fans of the Ravenloft fantasy yeah. uh, setting, mm. but to me, I I just couldn't do it. I mean, if I want to play horror, I'm going to play Call of Cthulhu. Yeah, and Ravenloft is a really good short adventure. I mean, if you go through yes. the one, one, two, or even three modules that were originally done. But mm-hmm. I couldn't – I mean, the idea of creating an entire world around that just – I don't know. Maybe there's some fans of Ravenloft, and I'd like to hear from them. I mean, as a campaign setting. It was mm-hmm. never a campaign setting for 1E, though, was it? No, second no, edition. No. Just two, was it like second edition the first time they second did that? Second edition. It was okay, later. Yeah. close enough. You yeah. could definitely adapt that pretty easily for 1E. But oh, yeah. I, I don't know anybody that ever played that as a campaign setting. <clears throat> I have. How was Oh, it? really? Yeah, I, we actually, that was one the only thing I ever bought from second edition was the Ravenloft campaign setting. And no I, I loved it, actually. My, uh, another DM of mine, uh, Brian, who might listen to the show, I'm not sure, but he ran Ravenloft for quite a while for using that box set for first edition. It was a lot of fun. Hmm. I mean, did the did it just get oppressive after a while having all of that you know gothic horror hanging over you all the time? No, not really, because I was a Vampire the Masquerade player, so it didn't really bother no. me. Oh, so you were looking for that kind of a setting? Yeah, okay. so it didn't bother me. Okay. Mm. 
most people, I mean, the whole idea of all the undead attracted to the, the good clerics and you're cut off from this and uh, he had wild magic going on in there and if you were, he had a paladin in the group that was like an instant magnet, so. <laughs> oh, sure, yeah. And then the whole the whole thing, the land tempting you to do evil things, so. It was fun. Yeah. No one plays it anymore, though. Sad. <laughs> Well, maybe we'll hear from somebody who does. Yes, I want yeah. to hear another fellow fan of Ravenloft. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that was one I I never really uh, that never really turned my my head to to get. But you know, I mean, that's cool if it works. If you got players that enjoy that sort of thing and want to take their whole D and D game completely into a gothic horror genre like that, or um. What I'm going to do in my new campaign is going to be, there's going to be definitely some elements of horror, but it's more of like on a, if you would think Robert E. Howard and his Conan stories and how they were. Ron Howard? Oh, sorry. Robert E. Howard. (laughs) (laughs) I thought we were talking happy days there for a minute. Yeah. No, he's, and he's not controlling my mind, but, (laughs) but, uh. Yeah. yeah, I mean, the new campaigns gonna, that I'm going to do is going to have some horror elements into it, but it's not gothic horror. It's more, I don't know how you would term it. I mean, I guess the best way is like like Robert E. Howard's uh, stories from the Hyborian Age, kind of like that in a way, you know? Not a lot of undead there. No. Uh, no, but there's some... You don't have to. It's okay. Yeah. I mean, there's different ways you could do horror. I mean, you could do horror with undead or more of a cosmic kind of horror. Like when you're talking about like the movie Alien, the original mm-hmm. Alien movie. I mean, you're talking like more of a uh, outer space cosmic horror there. I you mean, know, that's another, a really good point. We've just been talking about all of the kind of classic horror movie type of things. But mm-hmm. what about the more Twilight Zone or Outer Limits type of horror. Yeah, That's gonna, the stuff I kind of like. I thought you were going to say Twilight the movie. I was going to smack you. Uh, no. <laughs> all right. I'm going to go on record right now and say that all you guys who come down and harsh on these teenage girls who like Twilight are so hypocritical. What? Well, my daughter reads it. And, because, you know listen, I don't read it because it's not aimed at me. I'm not a teenage girl. Right. I'm not the target audience. But come on. How many teenage boys have got some obsession with whatever thing that is that they're into, you know, whether, and this is their thing, you know? So if they're, if they want their vampires to be hunky and angst ridden and, and twinkle and you know, that's their thing. And I, I'm just glad that these girls are geeking out on something and And you know what? Everybody's reading and they're reading reading. and everybody who's upset about it. I guess they're just upset because it's a different type of geekery than their own. But, you know, what do you, are they all supposed to be Trekkies? You know, let them have their fun. I'm totally for it. Okay. <laughs> so, so tell us how you really feel. Yeah. <laughs> no, I'm, I'm just scared. saying, I'm just saying, you know, a, as an ex-goth, I have plenty of goth friends who get very upset about that whole Twilight thing as if somebody's like taking their vampires from them. Uh, <laughs> like, okay. They're not your vampires. They're fictional. Let them have fun. But on the Twilight Zone thing, or outer <laughs> but on the Twilight Zone <laughs> or Outer Limits, you know that is another horror, and that's the one I kind of like. Oh, you know, I mean, the, come on, the story with the twist. I mean, 
How about the, know, the infamous one from the 80s, Tales from the Dark sur- Side? Oh, oh, yeah. Yeah, that actually... There was a few pretty good episodes of that show. There, there was some that were pretty good. A few, you know, it was a lot. A yeah. Well, uh, I mean, it was it was kind of derivative, but they managed to get off and do their own thing as well. I mean, they they definitely found their stride. Mm-hmm. I think one of, there was one episode when they redid Outer Limits. I think it was in the eighties or nineties. Oh yeah. But there was one. It was a quick five minute segment. Made, I think it was maybe five minute segment. Mm-hmm. Aliens come to Earth. They land. You see all their, their giant spherical ships. They're in the skies. Mm-hmm. They land at the UN and they like give um, planet Earth an ultimatum to to do whatever they need to do to be a part of right part Some of the galactic. Yeah. Brotherhood or something. Okay, yeah, okay. yeah, or something like that. And um, I, I, I forget how long they give them. But you sure this you know, isn't like a Simpsons or a South Park episode? You're no, thinking of here because no, no, no. <laughs> this no. has been kind of done to death. I'm sure TV Tropes has an entire section devoted to this. Because what happened was they all come back and said, "Yes, uh, we made peace agreements. We got rid of nuclear weapons and everything." And the aliens go, "No, you misunderstood." We we're a warlike race. We made you to be warlike. <laughs> so you you created peace on your planet. Now that's not what we wanted. We wanted you to fight it out amongst yourselves and see who was the best. <laughs> oh, so they had to destroy them. <laughs> well, you know, you got rid of your weapons. Thank you very much. Attack. There was a really good thing on Dan Carlin's show. Uh, he does a show called Hardcore History, which I know some of our listeners are fans of that. And anybody who's not already, I would recommend checking out this podcast, Hardcore History. And he talked about what has happened in history when one culture, a more yeah. technically advanced culture, especially a very warlike technologically advanced culture, encounters another one. Think the Spanish showing up in the Caribbean, uh, et cetera, et cetera, and just basically pointed out, don't be too eager to meet the extraterrestrials. They might be like us, in which case we're in a lot of trouble. And you bring up a very good – because wasn't it just uh, recently, like in the past month, that Stephen Hawking even said himself that, that very same point? Yeah, it's He's, a pretty valid point. He even said, you know what? We might not want to meet them because they might – we are under the assumption that they are a peaceful, uh, a peace-loving race of extraterrestrials and they are – they want us to cohabitate with them. You know what? <laughs> we could be wrong. <laughs> we could hey. be in a lot of trouble and they could be yeah. just like us. Just watch V, exactly. right? Just watch V, that's all I'm saying. Hey, yeah, he you is know, a good I mean, inspiration for a campaign. Yeah, uh, you know, I, I in, in it's been, I hate to say it, but decades since I literally decades since I read the Lord of the Rings. So mm-hmm. I decided to go back and read it again, um, and I'm just getting back to it. And the Black Riders are just showing up, and it's reminding me of all those things. You know, the, the peaceful little Shire and the. The world's infringing on it. Mm-hmm. Uh, that type of a thing works as a great hook for – if you're talking about a longer campaign, it's a great hook for any campaign. Your peaceful little society that's 
meeting an extra terrestrial or you know alien not literally i mean just an outside culture and it's got a great right. twilight zone kind of twist that you could do to it it could yeah that could definitely happen absolutely let's say that your characters are in uh you know they they they're they're in a nice settled society they've got everything figured out and there's some drow or some dwergar that have decided mm-hmm. they're going to uh work their way in and they're going to be very uh, manipulative about it. And I think of that Twilight Zone mm-hmm. where the aliens, the, in order to get the people to destroy themselves, all they did mm-hmm. was turn off the electricity for the night. Mm-hmm. Do you remember that episode? Yes. I think okay. so. Yeah, so just those kind of things. You could set up some really good hooks with that. Definitely, I, I, I think, watch some old Twilight Zones and uh, you've got you've got a campaign right there. Mm. All right. Well, those are some... But, you know, those are some really good ways to get inspiration for any sort of D&D game where if you want to have elements of horror, because we could get it from anywhere. You know, it doesn't have to be, you know, from what we consider, you know, ghosts and, you know, vampires sort of horror. It could be it could come from anywhere. You know, uh, you can look in the science fiction. You can look into uh I don't know, uh, just other things that even happened in real life that seem horrific. You can maybe adapt that. So, Absolutely, even modern times. I'm reading a really good book right now called Demon, which uh, I think it's – I can't remember the name of the author. But uh, it's all set in modern times with uh, computer crime and things going on. But mm-hmm. you could easily take the technology, toss it out, and turn it into something else. So you're right. Good, uh, inspiration can come from anywhere. So we've yeah. got the – so, so, so to recap, we've got the settings. You can do all kinds of things with your mm-hmm. everything from dry ice to the lighting. I love the idea of the writing on the wall showing up or just revealing things yeah. like that. Yeah, it's cool. Uh, you know, we've we've got a lot of great inspirations to go from. You can go anywhere from gothic horror to Twilight Zone type of things. And mm-hmm. uh, everybody who's listening, let us know if you ran anything uh, this yeah. Halloween. What you do, because we'd love to hear about it. And uh, I think that's probably time for us to leave Table Manners. Here we are into our, I guess, special horror Halloween segment, guys. Yeah, I think we <laughs> special horror yeah. Halloween segment. We, could, I guess, we could call it. All right. And um, yeah. for our our special segment here, um, I'm going to talk about. One of the authors that was an inspiration to Gary Gygax, he put him in the appendices of, I know, the um, DM's Guide for AD&D First Edition, and also in the basic D&D book was H.P. Um, Lovecraft. And he mentioned some of H.P. Uh, Lovecraft's stories uh, in the appendices, but also, more than that, if some people aren't Familiar who H.P. Lovecraft was, he uh, lived back in the uh, 20s and 30s. He was born, uh, I think, 1890. He lived up to 1937. And he was probably the, at least nowadays, is seen as probably the most uh, inspiring author of modern American horror fiction, I guess you might want to call it. So... Yeah. I think that's I think it's interesting to note that, you know, Gygax saw that there were some inter- there were some things that he could take from Lovecraft 
and put in to D and D or AD and D, particularly uh, what is now known as the Cthulhu Mythos. Mm-hmm. And um, there's a bit of a story about how <laughs> that got involved. If some of you, uh, our listeners out there, know about like the first um, edition deities and demigods, the first print of it had uh, the Cthulhu Mythos in it. Right, of course, and gave. Yeah, and got and gave stats for Cthulhu and Hastur and Narlothotep and all the other nasties that are associated with what is known as the Cthulhu mythos. I guess there was some dispute with Chaosium uh, as far as copyright, maybe possible copyright infringement, and they pulled it in the second printing. So okay, was it Chaosium? I thought it was the Lovecraft Estate. It might have been the Lovecraft estate, but I thought it might have been Chaosium because... Um, well, there was definitely a dispute. Yeah, there was definitely a dispute. And it might have been pulled because of the Lovecraft estate. I don't know because I, I'm i pretty sure... See, he didn't have any heirs. Uh, well, it, it's interesting and, because during Lovecraft's time even, weren't a lot of people writing, a lot, you know, people that he was friends with writing in his universe... Yes, yes. There's what you know, the Lovecraft circle of friends and associates, and some of those associates. Or well, Robert uh, E. Howard was one of them. Robert E. Howard, exactly. I was I was going to Robert E. Howard was one of those in the Lovecraft circle. He corresponded with Lovecraft and wrote several stories that were in that universe, if you will. Um, few of them uh, called the. Uh, some of the short stories, and these all appeared like in Weird Tales back mm-hmm. in the 20s and 30s. Uh, the Children of the Night, The Thing on the Roof, uh, The Haunter of the Ring, and Dig Me No Grave are a few of the tales that Robert E. Howard wrote that were in the, that had to deal with the Cthulhu mythos. One in particular is very interesting, is I believe is The Haunter of the Ring, is that one actually has a tie-in uh, there's this particular artifact, the Ring of Toth Amon. Mm-hmm. And if you know that from, you know, who Toth Amon or uh, he, he was Let's a sorcerer. Assume back I in... don't. Let's assume I don't. Okay. <laughs> in the Conan stories that Howard wrote, uh-huh. they're one of the major procra- uh, protagonists is Toth Amon. And this ring he had, it was a magical ring and it eventually appears Thousands and thousands of years later, in this story, The Haunter of the Ring, it was Tothana Amon's ring. So there's a tie-in with the Lovecraft, uh, uh, with this Lovecraftian story with Robert E. Howard's Conan. So there is there is a, a connection there with Robert E. Howard's stories there. But mm-hmm. um, well, that's so, why I thought maybe. Maybe that's one of the reasons the TSR felt like it was okay to just go ahead and do these things right. without – because you know when you look at all these different authors, and I'm looking back at the Deities and Demigods book right now, and so I can see a great list that's actually – it's really good. The, the uh, Deities and Demigods goes ahead and lists a bunch of the authors, Clark Ashton Smith, Frank yep. Bel- Belknap Long, Robert Black, August Derleth, Lynn Carter, mm-hmm. Ramsey Campbell, Brian Lumley. You know, since all these people had written in that, maybe they yeah, just even, thought this even is in the Stephen public domain. King. 
even really? Stephen King. Yes, in fact, uh, reading through uh, Stephen King's uh, autobiography, mm-hmm. uh, it was reading Lovecraft's work that actually inspired him to get into horror fiction. And the story goes that he was at, I believe, his either a grandmother's or an aunt's house, and he was up in the attic. And during the 40s, during World War II, uh, the U.S. military did a lot of uh, publishing of books for the soldiers. And mm-hmm. they like sometimes produced small, like, I guess you would call them omnibus editions of short stories from like weird tales or really? fantastic science fiction. Mm-hmm. And there was a collection of H.P. Lovecraft's stories that were in paperback. And he he saw this book. Um, he he read through it and mm-hmm. he read some of the stories. And after that, he was hooked. And that gave him the inspiration later on when he would write horror fiction. He's written some stories uh, that have been tied into the Cthulhu mythos. So, yeah, even Stephen King. Wow. So, so, so we've got a note here from our producer that says it was actually it was Chaosium versus yeah. TSR. So we're right; it was in the public domain, mm-hmm. but apparently Chaosium managed to somehow get a hold of the uh, copyright for Cthulhu. So. Mm-hmm. Nonetheless, I mean, one good thing that it did is it gave everybody um, a collectible item to look for. In TSR yeah, and books. I have a copy. <laughs> of course. So, Nick, why don't oh, you give us yes. a little story of the Cthulhu mythos? That some, maybe someone out there has no clue we're talking about. Okay. Actually, well, a... I have no clue what we're talking about here well, because I've never been a Lovecraft reader. I feel like I'm sort of surrounded by the atmosphere of it because of the... everybody who else is into it. Right. So you can give me some education here. Sure. Yeah. Education. Um, very well, me. then. Drop science. Sit down. Have a seat. I will tell you. Okay. <laughs> I, I'm... I don't consider myself a, a, a like an expert, but I think I know enough of it that I think I can explain it well enough. But I think you have to know a little bit about Lovecraft and what his view of the world or the universe as a whole world he saw was. He saw the universe as completely uncaring and unknowing of humanity. Right. Uh, giving into the fact that also he was an atheist, and I think that kind of played into creating the this this um uh this world this universe where that there are these horrors from beyond space and time that are somehow interacting with humanity to what we call magic or spells but is actually might be like some higher form of technology mm-hmm. so there there are various types of what they were i guess they were called gods either the, the they're sometimes called the great old ones and the great old ones are Cthulhu, uh, there's Hastur, uh, uh, uh a few others. But, uh, and they have worshippers. And there's other monsters that are associated with this mythos, too, like uh, the Deep Ones, which are like fishmen. All right, um, so let me, let me throw some questions at you. Sure. One thing I always hear around... Um, the Cthulhu thing, and and I love how much I'm exposing my my lack of geek knowledge here at this point. Because mm-hmm. I think about it, I mean, feel sometimes it feels like every other, whether it's a comic, a, a web mm-hmm. comic, or even even squishables, 
the guys who yeah. make those ra- who make the round, squishy plush animals. Uh, yeah, the they Cthulhu even have squishies. a Cthulhu yeah. squishable. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, anyway, so I'm going to ask you questions about it. One of the sure. things I always hear about is that the reason that the the worshippers or the cultists are follow are, are worshiping these uh, elder gods or old ones mm-hmm. or whatever is mm-hmm. so they can be eaten first. Am I am I getting that right? Maybe. <laughs> no, as in it all just, depends because you're gonna the, the you're gonna mess up everything. Get me first, okay? <laughs> because the worshippers are technically insane. So well, I thought it was they could believe whatever these, they want to believe. I thought it was because these old ones were going to come and make things horrible for everybody eventually. Right. So they just figured, right. well, it's going to happen to everyone. It's kind of like when I was a little kid, we lived near. Uh, SAC Air Force Base in Omaha, and I was really yeah. glad that that was the place that the uh, nuclear bombs were going to hit first because I was like, yeah, just get us first. <laughs> you right. know, that kind of a thing. Is um, that part of the be. whole thing? Yeah, it could be. Uh, it also uh, depends on maybe the cult. Maybe some of them believe that if they're going to worship these things, they're going to be spared and become the new masters of the world along with the great old ones. That is could there be really another a consistency thing? through all the different Cthulhu stories? Is do, could you actually um, have a canonical kind of mythos to it? Mm, he, I think Lovecraft, from what I've read and what I understand, he kind of left it loose. He actually encouraged people in his circle to write stories about the Cthulhu mythos and add their own twist to it you know like maybe um you know for example the the famous tome that he always uses or at least in many of his stories is the necronomicon which by the way everybody never existed okay hey, bruce campbell begs <laughs> uh, a different with you pal well i'm sure he does and he's got the boomstick so yeah. <laughs> but um like for like i think it was robert e howard's he added something else to the canon, uh, uh, another uh, old uh, tome, I forget the name of it, uh, but uh, De Verme's Mysteries, I think it's called. Mm -hmm. And some people add their own little twist to it in their own stories. So, and they're constantly trying to outdo each other. So I can't remember, there was one story where uh, Clark Ashton Smith uh, was actually a character in H.P. Lovecraft's story, and he renamed him, he renamed Clark Ashton Smith Clactishton as like an old, uh, <laughs> it, and he, it was like an anagram of his name, Clactishton, which cool. was, he made him into like an old wor- uh, wizard from like, uh, from like Atlantis or Hyperborea or something like that. So, you know, I'm starting to get a little bit jaded with the number of authors who just grab anagrams for things. Yeah. <laughs> I have such a hard time naming uh characters in my adventures or characters in the in the stories that I write right. and I I maybe I should just do what they do and just anagram everything. Yeah. You know, I think the best way to start with anybody who has it who doesn't really you know, know enough about Lovecraft's works and the Cthulhu mythos is really, um, and I think some of the stories are in the public domain now. Yes, they are. Uh, yeah. is, or you can buy some cheap paperbacks. Oh. And, you yeah, know? you can always pick them up on like the, the, the free ebook downloads. Right. I have a list of like 10 stories that I have for, for anybody 
they're really interested in his works and maybe gets an inspiration for their game, you yeah. know, I'll just run down them really quick. I mean, top of the list right now is is Call of Cthulhu. Mm-hmm. That's that's the quintessential story. That's um, another maybe one, the only one I've read. <laughs> yeah, um, and that's a good start. Uh, another one, and this is uh, the and this one was I think listed the appendix of the D, uh, basic D and D book, the uh, Moldvay version, the the Doom that came the Sarnath. Yeah, is one. That's uh, that's a good one. Uh, Herbert West Reanimator. It's a good story. Very interesting, and that was done as a as a movie. It has its own cult following now. <laughs> Back in the eighties, it was done. Uh, the Lurking Fear is a is a good is another good one. Uh, the Dream Quest of Unknown Cadith. Wait, was it is, called the Lurking Fear? The lurk. There's another one called the Lurking Fear. Okay, so the Infocom game, The Lurking Horror, might have been based off of that? Possibly. Interesting. Okay. Uh, so we have that, The Dream Quest of Unknown Cadith. Uh, the Case of Charles Dexter Ward is another one. Uh, the Colorado Space is a pretty good one. Um, my, I think the last three are my favorites, along with Call of Cthulhu. Um, the, Dun- the Dunwich Horror. Mm-hmm. Very good one. Uh, the Shadow Over Innsmouth. Very good story. And At the Mountains of Madness, which is actually a uh, novella. I read the, the Mountains of Madness. I couldn't get into that one. That one could be a little dry at first. Yeah, a um, really, really, really slow start on that one. Yeah. Uh, but an interesting thing about that one, it's being made into a movie and Del Toro is directing. So they're, gonna, cool. so they're going to have an hour and a half of him saying, this time at 3.02, blah, blah, I rounded the mountains. I don't think that'll happen. Because <laughs> <laughs> it was driving me up the wall reading that. Because <laughs> yeah, um, he gets into the long history of, like, Antarctica. Yeah. Because you also got to think of at the time in the late 20s, that was still, that was like, that was the unknown. Antarctica was the unknown. True. But when we're talking about all these other authors and and Lovecraft in particular, the idea is not just regular, your run-of-the-mill spooky ghost horror. This is cosmic horror. This is horror from beyond the stars. This is horror that has come down from the depths of space and time is going to suck your brains out your nose. <laughs> and that's if you're lucky. Okay. <laughs> so... It's it's a much grander kind of thing. It's it's a larger scope, if you will, as far as the type of horror. At least that's how I saw it. And I always thought it was and that was much more scary than just like a ghost story. Ooh. You know, the oh, absolutely. Like, coming down you know, from the uh, coming down from from the depths of space, you bet I'm more yeah, scary. Or beyond time, and you know. <laughs> so there's some really good stuff out there. I mean, if you want to learn more, get out there on Wikipedia. Uh, to learn more about Lovecraft, uh, or go on to Chaosium's website. I mean, they got some good stuff. Uh, another place I like to go to, I think I mentioned to them a long time ago, was a group from com. Yes, you did, yeah. And they do a podcast. It's like ours, but they do it all called Cthulhu Gaming. And... <sighs> Yogsawtoth.com is... Isn't that the... Don't they just do live uh, play the whole time? Um, they sometimes do. They record their uh, their play sessions. Yeah, because I've listened have... to those, and they're really entertaining. Those guys yes. are... 
they're more like an improv group than gamers. Yeah, and um, yeah, they're all out of England, and they do a fantastic job with their uh, podcast. They do like I think once a month, and every so uh, or every few months. I've been listening to it for quite some time, and it's it's a um, they do a really good job. So, but as uh, far as like adding, so what if you have all this stuff? You know, it's like I really want to add the Cthulhu Mythos to my game. How do I do that? Well, you can do one of two things, <laughs> or, you know, or like add elements of it. You, you can know, play like Call adding Cthulhu. Some of the, yeah, like adding if not just Cthulhu and the other great old ones, but also some of the monsters, like the like uh, like the deep ones, which are like the fish guys, which are like cool. It's what the Kuotoa are. <laughs> the what? But yeah, there's a lot of monsters that you can see the uh, Lovecraft in them. Oh yeah, like the Mind Flayer when we talked about last. Oh, yeah, time. of course, obviously. Um, but you can even get that with just like, um, some of the stuff out on the monster manual, like you were saying, Jason, like, uh, the mind flare, I think puddings are really good as far as like uh, Cthulhu mm. mythos type, anything that's slimy or pudding gelatinous, like a gibbering, like the gibbering mouther. Remember that one? Oh yeah. <laughs> the gibbering gelatinous. mouther. Uh, uh, what's another really good one? Um, uh, gosh, I'm trying to think of the the the, the Aboleth. It's out of Monster Manual too. It's like mm-hmm. the big fish thing, right? Um, yeah, the, I, think, I think it's is, called, is the Aboleth one of the psionic monsters. I think I it think, is psionic. Yes. You know what? That's right because a couple of people had written in after our show with psionics because when we did the creature feature, I mentioned that there was a pool, and a couple of people had guessed right away that it was going to be an Aboleth in the pool. Yeah. And I guess yeah. I just went for the for the obvious, the, the mind flare, and mm-hmm. our listeners actually would have had a better idea than us, or me anyways. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but there's like so many, any monsters that in the monster manual, like uh, the Otiug, there's one that's kind of like Cthulhu mythos kind of like, because uh, it's, you know, it lives in trash and what have you, and it's just, mm-hmm. you know, I mean, there are some monsters already built into the game that are obviously inspired um, but if you go beyond that, if you want to include actual creatures like the Shogoth, um, you could one try to get an original edition of the deities and demigods, but you're probably going to fork uh, at least forty-five to fifty dollars for a copy, if not more. Yeah, but I mean, hey, you'll spend forty-five to fifty dollars on a new uh, Chaosium book. So True. or. Or I found the website. A guy actually transcribed the Cthulhu mythos from the AD&D demigods and demigods. Uh-huh. And it's out there. And, I ha- and the website is still up. And well, it's gray I'll, area, but what the heck? Maybe uh, we... It's been up for years. And, um, we can and put we're link- about to take it down. <laughs> well, as far as I know, it's been out there. But I'm well, not going to say you what. It. It's a good site. Let's uh, let people find it on yeah, their own. The, I don't want to. So. Yeah, Google it and find it on your own. We don't want to touch right. gray areas. We want to so, say right, right to Nick at rfipodcast. <laughs> it's, it's DM Nick at rfipodcast.com. Wait, actually, so is I guess it, or is it Nick at? No, it's just hey, Nick at rfipodcast. No, it's DM Nick. <laughs> oh, we got that working. Okay. Yeah, we did. DM Nick at rfipodcast.com <laughs> and uh, ask him for the secret password. 
But there's the, a website the out there. Map. You have to find it on your own. Yeah. <laughs> the password is Cthulhu. So, so there. That's um. So you could do it. I mean, so Nick, it's not that hard. You're an avid player of Call of Cthulhu RPG, right? Yeah, I really do enjoy it. Yes. So, which version of the game would you recommend players out there to go grab, pick up, and start reading to play if they wanted to? Gosh, because um, I, I really I, any edition, yeah, honestly. I mean, even the current edition is good because one of the things I like about the game is the basic role playing system, the BRP system that Chiasium uses. Mm-hmm. And I think Call of Cthulhu is in its sixth edition. Yes. You could still take first or second edition rule uh, adventures and scenarios, plug them right into the current edition, no problem. The basic game mechanics all the same. There's just little tweaks here and there. You know, it's, if it works, what, you know, why fix it, right? Right. So one of the things I did steal from there, oh. I'm thinking of using it in my campaign, is uh, sanity and insanity rules. Right. You, yeah, you were talking about that last time. Yeah. And, and this is something, and I can kind of post something out there for that, maybe with our show notes for everybody, is um, how you can maybe play if you want to use sanity or insanity in your D&D game or AD&D game is you have a stat called uh, sanity, obviously, <laughs> and it's created by taking your intelligence, mm-hmm. adding it to your wisdom, mm-hmm. dividing it by two, and then multiplying it by five. And that's your sanity points, your sanity score. So one more time so, with that formula? So it's you're, intelligence. You're averaging, you're averaging it out and multiplying it by five. Mm-hmm. Okay. Say, okay. for example, you had a character with 12 intelligence and 16 wisdom. Okay. You, add you those couldn't two make together. it easy math, could you? <laughs> well, it's 28 divided by 2. Really? 12, 12, 12 plus 15 is 28? <laughs> 16. Okay, Eight sure. Let's call it 16. Yeah, 12 and 16, that's 28, right? Yeah, that's now it is. Now it is. <laughs> I'm reading it off the paper here. <laughs> Go on. But uh, so that would be 28, right? Divided by two, that's. that's oh, uh, yeah, you just said you got your calculator out, didn't you? I heard the calculator now. I heard it. You just used the calculator to divide 28 by two. I uh, That's okay. Yes, as you know, that's 30. Uh, you divide it by two. Fourteen. Okay. And then you multiply it by oh, five. Oh, no, it's the math podcast. <laughs> you, you, you couldn't have just said if you had a 10 and a 10, and then you got a 50, you had to have a 14 times 5, which, okay. So okay, you, so you fine. Set, we'll say 10 intelligence and 10 wisdom. So you got a 70 sanity. Okay, you got a and, 70 sanity. And you'd have sanity. a 70 sanity. So you have, you have sanity, 70 sa- sanity points. Okay. <laughs> yes. Um, if you haven't gone insane already from what the math that we've been trying to do. Yes. Okay. <laughs> Everybody out there is going, oh, my God, no. That's, that's DM Nick at RFIPodcast.com. <laughs> so you can use this stat. And say uh, one of the things that you can use it for is when you're casting spells, you may lose sanity when you cast spells. For each level of a spell, you lose sanity for it. Mm-hmm. Because you are tapping in the energies beyond your ken. And such yeah. energies and knowledge ex- extract a price. 
and that price is sanity. You could definitely do that if you wanted to uh, have a very different world of high-level magic users. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. I like it. Uh, and I'm, I'm thinking of doing it where uh, sanity points are doubled when you cast uh, uh, summonings, for, like, uh, like if you're doing a gate spell. Sure. Or when you're doing binding spells like Spirit Rack or Exorcism, the amount of sanity lost is doubled. And also maybe another way you can use it, like for clerics, turning or controlling undead costs one point of sanity per undead creature successfully turned or controlled. I would not do that. But, well, <laughs> maybe. Yeah, I, don't know. I would not do I that mean, because just... I get your, okay, if you wanted to play in a world that had, uh, you know, insanity coming from the magic, you know, from opening up that gate to an, another plane... That makes mm-hmm. sense for the magic user, and maybe even for the evil cleric who is controlling undead. Right. But right. for the good cleric who's turning them, that good cleric is turning them with the you know by showing the holy symbol right. and and you know all the powers of good. So probably right. just for the evil ones. Right. But then again, that's that's, that's your campaign. I, I don't think I would well, do the sanity yeah. in mind because. I'm just throwing out ideas there. Close enough to the edge of sanity as it is. (laughs) (laughs) And I'm just throwing out ideas there. One of the things that they have also in the Call of Cthulhu game, which you can maybe use for AD&D, is you lose sanity. You could possibly lose sanity for viewing certain types of creatures when you see them. Like the first time you see uh, an Otion, you might lose. Yeah, you (laughs) might lose sanity for seeing it. It's such I a saw a flump. It made no sense. My mind is boggled. <laughs> well, obviously, you're going to use your GM's discretion here. So basically what you would do is you roll uh, percentile dice. Mm-hmm. And if you make that score or lower, you save and you don't lose any sanity. But if you roll higher than that score, you lose a certain amount of sanity points. Uh, whatever the GM. This is some ideas out there. Very cool. So I, I might throw some of those out there on our website. So some of those things. And you can maybe gain sanity back by during certain deeds and everything. But you get into zero sanity, you turn in, you turn insane. So so it's, that might be a cool thing. Whole new thing. world it's of possibilities. Whole new world of possibilities there for your character. So, yes, the sanity stat for possibly for AD&D. So. But that's kind of a... Lovecraft in a nutshell, if you will, in the Cthulhu mythos. So there's a lot of stuff out there. Um, just You just have to look. Some of it is in a public domain. And there's cheap paper, uh, uh, inexpensive paperbacks of the stuff. Um, there's plenty of websites. So And it's like my next favorite game. So I'm, And I'm hoping to take some of those elements in my next campaign. So we'll see how it works. So yeah. Put a recorder That'll, down so we can hear yeah. this campaign. Put a recorder down. We want to hear it. Yeah, if yeah, especially if you got anybody out there in uh, RF, RFI podcast land who's used, you know, Cthulhu mythos in their game, or you know, have some ideas that maybe use it. You know, drop us a line, or you know, drop me a line at dmnick at rfpodcast.com. RFI podcast dot com, and um, or just email RFI. Staff at yes. Or you could do that too. And, yeah, Nick, uh, you should definitely uh, get some players and start recording some games. I think you need to get an actual play podcast on the air. Well, you know what? I'm thinking about it. <laughs> Excellent. <laughs> um, I, I might, yeah. I might yes, I hear the aha. Uh-huh, minor up. 
No, they're not. <laughs> well, they'll be up by the time this goes live because our wonderful producer will have put them up. Yes. I'm so, blaming him for everything. Oh, all right. All right. <laughs> so, so and that is uh, RFI. On that high note. <laughs> RFI actualplay.tk is the actual site. <laughs> so let's. Well, uh, NME just do a goth special. I think the NME just released a, a special goth issue. This is perfect for Halloween. Sweet. <laughs> so anybody out there listening, you know, let us know. Get on the forums. See what you uh, see what you like, or if you don't like it, let us know. And I think yeah, they'll wrap have, this up our, our special yeah, we, segment. We, we have a whole forum section for for other types of games. So uh, yeah, let's get one started. So uh, let's. Uh, I guess we'll go on to the dragons horde. On into the Dragon's Horde, where we have a listener-submitted bit of Halloween fun coming from Mm. our own Todd Hughes. Uh, I don't know, maybe listener is... uh, Almost staff, right? Uh, so the, <laughs> well, actually, if we're staff, hey, if we're staff, he's staff. Oh, he's staff. Yeah. He's staff. He's staff. Um, okay, so, Todd, it's official. <laughs> yes, Todd has submitted Hismana's candy bag of chaos. Hismana's candy bag of chaos. Love it. And I'll just I'll just read this because he's got a great description. Yeah. First of all. Uh, the, the experience point value, 2,000, so a little mm-hmm. bit higher level characters or mid-level characters here. It's worth 4,000 gold pieces. Mm. This appears at first glance to be nothing more than a small, empty black velvet bag the size of a coin purse. However, when a character reaches into the bag, they will pull forth a piece of multicolored taffy. The effect of the taffy pulled forth should be rolled at random, and the character should not know what effect it will have until ingested. Yikes. Any item placed in the bag will disappear into an extra-dimensional space and cannot be retrieved. Uh, And it's too small to put your enemies in, so don't try. (laughs) A piece of candy may only be pulled... From Hismana's candy bag of chaos once per day. Per person? And the candy... Sorry? Is that, I wonder if that's per person. Uh, let's see. Let's read through and see what we think. Mm. Um, piece of candy may be, only be pulled from Hismana's candy bag of chaos once per day. Mm-hmm. And the candy must be eaten within one turn, or it loses all magical qualities, becoming normal taffy. So, right there... Good thing about this is it could just be a taffy bag if you're hungry. <laughs> no. Hey, worst case. All right. So we've got we've got a D twenty roll and uh relatively even disperse dispersal here. There's a few that are a little bit easier to get, like the first one, fire breathing. Ooh. Uh the water breathing, speak with plants, <laughs> enlarge or reduce, levitate, stink breath, and poison. Mm. All right, so let's run down through what's in here. The fire-breathing candy. After this piece of candy is eaten, whenever the character opens his or her mouth, a jet of flame will shoot forth. This includes trying to do something as simple as speaking. Oh, my God. (laughs) (laughs) This jet of flame 
is two feet in width and three feet in length and causes five points of damage to anyone struck. The effect lasts for one turn. Okay. Interesting. (laughs) Water breathing. After this piece of candy is eaten, the character will be able to breathe underwater in the same way as the magic user spelled the same name. This effect lasts for two turns. Cool. Okay, so we got cinnamon taffy and saltwater taffy. Got it. They all look the same. Aw. You won't know. (laughs) Uh, Speak with plants. After this piece of candy is eaten, the character will be able to converse with plants in the same way as the cleric spell of the same name. This effect lasts for five rounds. Yay. Right. Uh, Water, good. Club. Enlarge or hey, reduce. If this was after. a movie The Happening, that could have used that pill. Or yeah, that's true. <laughs> <laughs> Go ahead, Jason. Uh, after the enlarge or reduce piece is eaten, the character will increase in size by 100%. This is the magic user spell of the same name. There is a 25% chance that instead of increasing in size, that the character will reduce in size by 50%. This effect will last for one turn. I should probably hope for reduce, because if I remember right, the enlarge spell only enlarges the creature and not anything you're wearing, so you could take some damage there. That reminds me, we just had an actual play podcast for Book of Sorrows, and our Dwarven character found a bracelet that enlarged him to six foot seven. Mm-hmm. So he was a dwarf running around that was like six foot seven, but he realized how cool it was. He was like, Oh, this is awesome. But he realized that the only thing that enlarged with him were his clothes for, you know, G rating purposes. Mm-hmm. And his axe was now considered like a tomahawk to his in his hands pretty much. Because <laughs> <laughs> he had a dwarven wah, wah. axe. Yeah. And his crossbow was just kind of like, you know, like a twig or something in his hand. So there was good and bad with it. Uh, it makes me think of Captain Carrot from the uh, Discworld. He's yeah. he's oh. the uh, the dwarf who's actually he was actually a man raised by dwarf parents, but he, as far as he's concerned, he's a dwarf. <laughs> uh, so let's see. Oh, we have three more pieces of candy in the bag. Levitate. Levitate. Yeah. Yes. After this piece of candy is eaten, the character will begin to rise from the ground. A weight of up to five hundred pounds will levitate at a rate of ten feet per round. Character affected cannot control whether or not he rises. Oh, jeez. Oh, great. And for some strange reason, this effect lasts for six rounds. I don't know why six, but six rounds. Hmm. Uh, oh, because when it stops, you'll be 60 feet up at that 6d10 damage. Oh, when <laughs> I think you probably got it, yeah. Because um, I'm an evil DM. Yes. <laughs> uh, stink breath. After this piece of candy is eaten, it causes the character to have horribly foul breath that affects everyone but the character that ate the candy. Whenever the character's mouth is opened, a noxious yellow cloud of gas escapes covering a 10-foot cube area (laughs) and affecting all living creatures other than the eater within it as if it were the magic user spell Stinking Cloud. This effect lasts for one turn. That could be kind of useful. Yeah. (laughs) I know some people at the office like that. (laughs) <laughs> just waiting for that um, and then the last one poison this piece of candy is a potent poison when consumed the character eating must make a saving throw versus poison or die obviously inspired by Gary Guy Gax there save or die <laughs> save or die hey. it's a good podcast called that I've heard of yeah it's a really cool yes, podcast there is. Yeah. I want to look that up save or die info <laughs> <laughs> nice plug alright so, yeah, <laughs> right, so what are we going to do with this thing? Where are you going to put it in your game? 
And I, I'm thinking this is almost like an the edible version of the bag of tricks, you know? Hmm. In a way. My I mean, o- my only major concern with this is that he doesn't say anything about charges. He doesn't say if you can take it and let someone else pull something out of it. Well, charges. All right, let's let's. I, I think the DM's discretion here. Uh, I'd give it charges. Yeah, I definitely would. Just like any magical item. And I don't it, know. I kind of see this like the bag of tricks or the, uh, you know, I see it like that. You can, oh, the bag of tricks, you can pull something out, I think, once a day. Is, it's kind of like that. Yeah, but some people see the once a day as per person. So that's why I'm trying to figure out that DM discretion there, too. Well, definitely, mm. since he hasn't put it. Um, I'm actually going to look up the bag of tricks and see how it works on that, because that's a good comparison. Or uh, maybe it's... Yeah. Uh, also, I was thinking Wand of Wonder. It's almost like that, too, doesn't it? A mm, little bit. Maybe. So uh, the Bag of Tricks, as you say, that one doesn't have charges. It just works and works and works. Mm-hmm. Um, individual reaches inside one creature at a time. The uh, Bag of Tricks is a, up to ten creatures maximum can be drawn from the bag each week. So okay. it's based on the bag rather than the player, and that kind of makes more sense. Um, so since he didn't mention, I mean, obviously Todd can let us know what he intended. I would prefer to interpret it as just once per day, period. Yeah, for, for the possessor of the candy bag. Yeah, yeah. For, for any whoever, if somebody else reaches in and takes the candy, well, that was your once per day. Okay. That, that That's how I'd probably do it, but I don't know what Todd intended. All right, now I'm looking at this also saying this is definitely a not a good item to have. <laughs> no, it feels like more of a curse. Yeah, more of a curse. Yeah. Because <laughs> what are the positive things that could happen? Uh, well, fire breathing, potentially positive if you're expecting it and you're ready to make use of it. And you're lucky enough for that to be the one you get. Mm, water breathing might be helpful. Almost no negativity to water breathing or speak with plants. Those are just good things to get. Unless you want boring conversation with plants. Yeah, this is a boring plant. You know, if it's a plant that doesn't have a lot to say, then yeah. Uh, but if you get a real, real say to you, I need poo and water. Feed me. <laughs> the plant's gonna want poo and water, Nick. Nice. <laughs> At least you kept a PG. <laughs> I'm sorry. I'm just thinking about what Vince said about knowing somebody at the office who's like the uh, stink breath. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> all right, so stink breath, probably a good thing to get because um, the stinking cloud spell thing. Yeah, it's useful. It's useful. Yeah, uh, levitate and enlarge, not so good. No, because you don't know they're going to happen. So how can it possibly be a good thing for you? All right, and if with the levitate, you have no idea how long it's going to last. Right, and poison, of course. Well, save or die. Poison. <laughs> good podcast. So, <laughs> so maybe, you know, maybe if you've got one of these, is there any way that this could be an item of last resort for you? Could you be in a situation where you just say, I'm out of options. Let's see what I get from the taffy. You know what? This would be kind of thing maybe you want to trick an enemy with, too. Well, it's great if the enemy ends up getting the levitate or the poison. Mm. Not so great if they get the fire breathing. This could be like your cyanide pill type deal. Cyanide taffy. Yeah. <laughs> the cyanide taffy. Well, you're dying. Might as well, what the hell, pull it out. Yeah, see what it is. That's taffy, that is, by the way. <laughs> Life is like his man's candy bag of chaos. You never know what you're going to get. 
Wow. <laughs> All right. So, uh, <laughs> would you put this in your campaign, Jason? Uh, yes, because I like watching my players deal with chaos. I would too. Yeah. yeah. For the same reason. And it doesn't, it seems innocuous at first, so, some of these effects, but others can be potentially dangerous. So. Yeah, I, yeah, I, I like on, yeah. I like magic items like this, like the the wand of yeah. wonder, the bag of tricks. Ooh, so mm-hmm. good question here: How would you guys handle the once per day pulling out of the bag? How would you role play that, uh, Nick? Um, I see that as once per day for the possessor of the candy bag. Right, but how would you uh, role play the whole issue? How would I role play that? Um, I guess it depends on. You know, give me some context. <laughs> well, I guess the, the question is, you know, so the player puts their hand in, they get the yeah. taffy, and then they put uh-huh. their hand in again. Do they, is it empty now? Or is yeah, it just regular empty. taffy? It's empty. No, there's no more taffy in it. You, they pulled their one, that's it. Okay. So so you've, you've pulled your taffy, you're done. Okay. Yeah. Mm-hmm. All right. I, I'll, I do like the uh, getting rid of things. It, it's a really, you know, it's really good if you're in, here's a use for this item. You're in a dungeon. You don't want to leave any tracks. How, where are you going to throw out your garbage? In the bag. Mm. It's, 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 so that's useful. That's true. All right. So this is a really good... Uh, it's, it's a good magic item. Definitely. Uh, thank you, Todd. Cool. So we'll put it in... The, we'll try it out and see what happens. We'll, we'll post it up uh, on the show notes uh, so people could try using it in their campaigns and tell us what they think. Excellent. RFI staff cool. gmail.com or go right to our forums. Speaking of forums, you can find our forums on Dragon's Foot in the sub forum of uh, First Edition now. Oh, yeah, yeah. I wanted to thank uh, Dragon's Foot for doing that because it's, it was really cool of them to uh, create RFI podcast forums on Dragon's Foot. Yeah. Uh, and they did get a little bit lost when they were up in the. Uh, you know, sort of the top level of things. So now they're easier to find. So thank you, guys at Dragon's Foot. Yes, thank you, thank you Dragon's Foot. Yes, especially uh, thank you, Steve. He was the one that did it for us. Steve, Steve. that's what we want to thank. Steve. And then we'll head over to uh, Creature Future. Creature, Creature, Feature, Feature, Theater, Theater. So for the creature feature tonight, we have two things we're going to talk about. One we plan; the other one is actually by listener request. Uh, many listener requests. The uh, first is going to be the vampire, and the second Us. one is going to be the witch class. Well, the M- witch NPC class, right, Jason? Witch yes. class. So no, class. don't even start that. <laughs> <laughs> which class? Who's on which? first edition? Third base. Uh, we are. <laughs> Yeah, so we'll do it a little bit different. We'll do a monster and an NPC. So uh, let's let's start with our monster. We have the vampire, the traditional vampire, the traditional vampire. Uh, basically, they were going off the traditional Bela Lugosi vampire history going on here. If you look, what? Blah, that's right. Speaking of which, I was watching Scooby Doo today. Well, don't ask me why. And 
Why? Hey, Scoob! Hey, Scoob! Yeah. And they were going after something real then. They went in this bar, and there was, like, ghosts and skeletons and vampires. And the vampires were talking, and all they were doing was going, blah, 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 blah. <laughs> oh, that was actually what they were saying? Yeah, they were actually just going, that was their conversation with each other. It was, blah, 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 blah. And the ghosts were going, boo, 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 boo. That's how it works. <laughs> God. <laughs> so would you let a player play a vampire? In your campaign. No. No. No, 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 no. No, 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 no. This is probably one of the baddest people in the game, I think, a vampire. Other than a demon, probably, or a devil. Or a lich. Yeah. I mean, the only thing that really stops them is holy water, uh, sunlight, and maybe, if you want to go with a crucifix, I'll hold them at bay. Yeah. Well, in in an AD&D world, I'd go with a holy symbol. Sorry, I meant to say holy symbol. But hold, actually, no, that's not going to work because now you're just turning them. Yeah. Now you're just a cleric that's turning. So or I'd leave that else, out. Or the obligatory stake through the heart, cut off the head. Mm-hmm. So the vampire can drain level, uh, life energy from, uh, lends two life energy levels from a victim when they hit with a with a bite, a successful bite. So is yeah. it is it a bite only? No, actually, I usually go with a bite. Okay, okay. But the book actually well, says, yeah, you're correcting me, just a successful hit. Okay, well, no, the only, and I'm actually not that familiar with the book's vampire, because I've always kind of been a fan of vampire fiction, so being restricted to the Bram Stoker type, I didn't really dig it as much. But uh, I went back and I found a really good article from Leomund's Tiny Hut from, I think it was Dragon Number 30. Mm-hmm. And I don't know if this was written before the Monster Manual came out, um, mm-hmm. It's October 1979. That would be mm-hmm. after, wouldn't it be? I think so. I don't have the book in front yeah. of me. I'm pretty sure. Yeah, that was after. Yeah, yeah, D, uh, yeah DMs. The Monster Manual right. was first. Monster yeah, Manual was the first 77, book. yeah. Okay, so uh, so maybe the things that are in here might even be update on it. But it does specifically point out, he specifically points out that even though this is based on the Bram Stoker vampire, it's not exactly that vampire. So it doesn't have to bite to drain levels. I've always gone with the whole traditional vampire has to bite to drain the levels. Sure, why not? That makes more sense than a hit. I mean, a hit is kind of cheap. Well, what he's saying in here specifically is that uh, it's just a power of the vampire. He says specifically, remember this is not the Bram Stoker vampire, this is the advanced Dungeons and Dragons vampire. The AD&D vampire drains levels due to negative plane coexistence and does not have to bite the victim. So it's a whole question of, you know, how much do you want to get into the mythos and the mechanics of the AD&D world and how much do you want to really make it that classic movie vampire of the early 20th century? Okay, so uh, going back, they regenerate hit points, they're immune to sleep, charm, and hold spells don't affect them at all. Poisons or paralyzation do not work on them. They take one half damage from spell based on cold electricity. Uh, they go on further to having shape change to a bat whenever they're desired. They have the gaseous form, which is pretty much the traditional history lore of vampires as well. I don't see. I remember seeing anything here real quick about werewolves. Or, I mean, wolves. Do you remember seeing anything on that? Um, actually, yeah, they can. The wilderness, they can. Um, summon 10 to 100 rats or bats in wilderness surroundings, typically 3 to 18 wolves. Mm-hmm. 
and the creatures will come in to the 12 melee round. And they have the infamous vampire ga- Bell Lugosi gaze. The whole camera close up and gum. <laughs> yes. He raises his right hand and does the whole arch with the Blair. finger. The whole thing that made Bell Lugosi famous. You are in my power. Renfield. Renfield, you stupid lucky boy. <laughs> so uh, how do you want to make it into a sleeping bag? Okay. <laughs> Thank you, Nick. <laughs> so let's talk about slaying vampires. <laughs> <laughs> Since we're going to slay Nick now. So first hey. we're going to stake them, cut off their head, and we're going to put some holy wafers into their mouth. And Jason, you were laughing about that before. It just sounds ridiculous. <laughs> I know. Well, it does. that's part of the vampire folklore. I'd, I'd leave that out one. I'd leave that one out too because I try to keep uh, kind of quote unquote real world uh, religions out of my AD and D. I know like the Norse religion is real world, but that sort of stuff gets a little bit. You know, I I, I just leave it out because I, th- I think holy wafers is a little bit silly for me for a, a AD and D game. Why wouldn't? The religions inside the game have holy wafers. I mean, that's they might, but I don't know. I mean, if you're carrying cookies for the vampire, <laughs> you're, hey, you're, hey, hey, you're prepping. <laughs> All right, so you can go with that, or you can go with um, just doing cut off the head, stake to the heart. Mm-hmm. Now, what about uh, burning the body? It depends on what what mythos you're looking at. If you're in traditional vampirism, the Body once staked or head cut off, they instantly turn to dust. Mm-hmm. Or if you're doing the Josh Whedon verse, uh, instant stakes turned him into like poof of air into dust. Okay, mm. help me there because I'm not a Josh Whedon uh, uh, follower. Buffy the Vampire Slayer. Oh, okay. okay. Yeah, 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 yeah. Those vampires, when you all you had to do was stake them or, or cut off the head, and they just po- instantly went poof and they were gone. So, mm-hmm. well, the whole thing, I think, well, we're kind of talking about here is the whole the whole vampire myth it depends on which geographic re- uh, region and society that you're talking about because vampires maybe in eastern europe yeah ha- might be a little bit like where we get some of our our common knowledge of might be different than say like of vampires that were in the far east the ones that and- hop like zombies <laughs> yeah. Well, I, I even think in the original Monster Manual they had something about that. That's uh, yeah, vampires of the Eastern world are invisible. The Kappa. Yeah. So, I mean, here's one way you could go with it. Uh, uh, there's, there's also the Bram Stoker uh, mythos when you have to stake them to hold them in place, mm-hmm. stuff, yeah. stuff their face, stuff their mouth with garlic, and then cut off the head. And then you yeah, have to. I mean, then you I have to bury you, Don't forget the, the holy water that, too. Mm. There, there's. I don't remember where I was reading this, but somebody was uh, writing about like, oh, you know, sh- what? How do we know if it's a vampire? So we know whether to use these methods. And the guy was like, look, cutting off their head or driving a stake through the heart is going to kill anybody. Yeah, <laughs> so it doesn't yeah. just have to be the vampire. Well, there's the ways you can tell, like the garlic repulsion. They don't reflect in mirrors, and yeah, I, I think and, that's and so, one. You definitely can run the vampires however you want. I have never brought vampires into my game, and if I did, I think I would prefer to create a little bit more primal vampire. You know, this is a creature who feeds off of the blood of other creatures. I, I prefer the right. very – I prefer the Nosferatu type. 
Mm. So do I. So they're they're um, ugly. They're hideous. You I do not want them around. Yeah, the uh, the I think it's Brian Lumley, his Necroscope series. Right. Mm-hmm. A lot of his vampires are like that. Well, even uh, look the Anne Rice. At this point, it's a little bit cliche to, but when Anne Rice's books were first coming out, they were. I really did like them a lot. Yeah. And mm-hmm. uh, I like the fact that you had these. These older vampires, these really, really ancient ones that were very different from the sort of suave yeah. ones that could blend into society. The really ancient ones were just these horrors that even yeah. the, the other vampires didn't want to be around. Yeah, because they were like – they almost became, uh, what, feral, I guess you would call yeah, it? Yeah, exactly. They, they had just lost any connection to humanity and they were – like you say, they were just feral. Right. You know, th- those were really good. Um, Poppy Z. Bright. Um, I mean, if anybody is sort of the uh, spiritual uh, parent of the Twilight series, I guess it would be Poppy Z. Bright. Uh, but her vampires are really good ones, you know, if you, if you want to have a little bit more of that romantic side of it. And, you know, some people want to put that in their game. I like, But I like the, I like the feral ones, definitely. Yeah. I like if I'm going to do vampires, and I haven't thrown them into my game, I think I would have, like, different types just to throw every, throw my players off. That's you know, good. get some get some inspiration from, you know, real world folklore, and maybe throw those into my game. So, like we were talking about the inst- Easter vampires, they are they're invisible and mm-hmm. they hop around. Or I I think even even within Eastern Europe, there's different variants of the vampire myth. I mean, if you go someplace like in Russia, it's different there about vampires than they are in Bulgaria or Romania. So. I guess, you know, doing a little bit of uh, searching on vampire folklore out there, coming yes. up with some stats, maybe. Oh. I don't know. And please, you know, no jokes about Transylvania being in Pennsylvania. Yeah. <laughs> the, the <laughs> actual, but the actual castle of Vlad the Impaler is still yes. there. Yes, it yes, is. It you, is. Can, you can go to it. Mm-hmm. And I, I've seen people put up some really amazing photos uh, from this. I, I would definitely like to go there someday. I think that yeah. would take, take some game books, you know? <laughs> well, I think uh, we need to talk about the ultimate vampire that was introduced in AD&D vers- first edition. What do you think, Vince? Oh, yeah, the infamous Strahd. Strahd. Strahd von, I can't never pronounce his name right, von Zakwell. <laughs> Zoro Rodovolovich. Yes. Blah, blah. Yeah, I'm a vampire. Yes. So the ultimate bad guy vampire, do we like him? No. Do we feel for him? Maybe sometimes. I don't no, know. No, I don't. You don't feel bad he's for a him? Blood, no, he's a blood sucker and he should be killed. There you go. Wow. <laughs> you don't feel I'm bad? I'm sorry. He's <laughs> an abomination to all uh, to all nature and life and should be destroyed. You didn't feel bad after reading I Strahd or anything? or. I didn't read it. Well, you have to hear his side of the story, too. He, you know, he was trapped there, so. He's evil. <laughs> you need to watch The Hunger a few more times. Yeah, I know. Oh, I've seen it. Yeah. And I don't like my vampires sparkly, either. Thank you very much. Have you guys... <laughs> Let's not get into that again. Okay. Jason O'Dean's on the soapbox on that one. Uh, David Bowie's a great vampire. <laughs> I have to admit, yes. He was very good in that. He was. <laughs> He, he anyway, nailed it. Strahd. Yeah, Strahd. Has anyone Strahd. used Strahd in their campaigns? 
Other no. than the uh, two, uh, other than Ravenloft can't, uh, module. No, no not I at all. Have. No. I we, plan on using Ravenloft, maybe. I actually, so. we actually used Strahd in a very long campaign back in the early 90s mm-hmm. for Strahd. And the whole purpose of what it was, Strahd found a way to get out of Ravenloft. And what he was doing was he found a leak in the whole, in the, uh, I guess the dimension, what we decided. And he was sending minions to, to look for the heart. Oh, I wrote it down to. It was the heart of some goddess, and piece by piece he was trying to recover that. If he can recover the heart and intact it, he can actually take himself and bring through into the regular world and cause chaos onto the world. And that was the hook for the campaign, was the players were to stop Strahd from coming into the world. Because if he was unleashed from his domain of dread, he would utterly destroy the world. So Okay, here's a question for you. Geek fight right here. Who would win? (laughs) Strahd or Acerac from Tomb of Horrors? Strahd. Who's the lit? Oh, Strahd. Is it home field advantage? <laughs> <laughs> yes, who has home field advantage? Well, does Strahd have to get through the Tomb of Horrors? True. Just straight up. <laughs> I think it would be Strahd, hands down. Over a lich? Yeah, I think so. Yeah, I'd have to say so, too, because a lot of the stuff that a lich can do, a vampire can do, too. Mm-hmm. But not vice versa. I'm going with Strahd. Nah, I'll go with the Lich. I mean, one of the, well, okay. Here, here's the thing. I'm, I'm going to you know keep why? going back to this. Which uh, one's higher on the turn on dead table? Oh. Yeah, I'm not going <laughs> to call that enough. No. Okay, okay. No, I'm not going to call that enough. But okay. uh, it actually brings up something that I wanted to ask you guys about. So going back to the... Uh, this this already this Leoman's tiny hut that was about vampires. Mm-hmm. Um, one of the things he brings up is he says even if the vampire is scattered to the four winds, it can reform within one to one hundred rounds based on conditions. If it is split, the only way to uh, keep it from getting back together is to split up the uh, parts or even the ashes into like different bottles. Um, and unable to uh, connect them back together. That was the the Count Dracula. Wow. That was the Count Dracula mythos. Mm-hmm. That only applied okay. to Count Dracula himself. I remember I remember hearing about that one. Yeah, that was only Count Dracula, the actual person Dra- Dracula. Is that because Dracula. he was the first uh, vampire, the first official one? Uh, yeah, something to do with that. Mm, okay. Yeah, so they're doing that to. Uh, they're doing that to uh, basically the va- vampire in general in this article. Wow. Holy cow. That's a little too powerful for a normal vampire. Yeah. Well, that's the interesting thing is because it also he brings up uh, – Len brings up another idea in the same article of the lesser vampire. Okay. Oh, okay. Right. So the lesser vampire is actually the monster created by the full vampire after killing right. or draining the victim. Uh, so – there's a whole set of things in here. The question is, is the lesser vampire half strength or not? And if it's released to become free willed, does it grow to become full strength? So he kind of puts Ooh. that out there and, and you know, asks people to think about this for themselves. Oh, wow. Um, so so uh, there's some really good ideas because the vampire, um, I don't know how the lich is in terms of followers, but the vampire definitely attracts you know, quite a few followers and creates his own as well. Yeah, and like liches. Lich Mm-mm. Liches, they would probably just create zombies and skeletons. 
they might mm-hmm. attract some other undead like ghouls or whites, but now with they all don't said, create other liches. <laughs> the vampires got some really good Achilles heels as well. I mean, you already mentioned with the with the river, you know, with yeah. water. Mm-hmm. Right. Um, running. Yeah, running water is going to uh or I don't know if we've talked about it off the air, but I mean that's that's the thing. Is it running water right there? Uh but the coffin. I mean the vampire has to at some point return to his coffin. Right. So it, if isn't part of the myth too it has to have its home soil in the coffin or something like that? It depends it, on the mythos. If it's a Bram Stoker, right. it has to be the coffin with the original soil from what it was buried in. If it's if it's uh, Whedonverse, it doesn't really matter where the vampire, who doesn't need to sleep during the day, apparently. Uh, if it's World of Darkness, uh, no, you just have to find a safe haven. That's pretty much it. Okay, so it's just, it depends on what flavor you want to use. Yeah. Okay. Well, the way Lynn Lakofka puts it in here, he brings up some good coffin rules mm-hmm. and says that the uh, even if far beneath the surface of the ground, the vampire must return to his coffin eventually. And he rules once each week. If the vampire does not return to his coffin, one, within a week if underground the full time, or two, every night if exposed to the um, outside, or Hmm. three, within three hours of being reduced to zero hit points, the monster crosses over to the negative plane exclusively and cannot return. So he really keeps harping or bringing back the point that the vampire's... uh, essence is as a negative plane creature that has an existence on the prime material plane so you can Mm -hmm. banish the vampire to the negative plane without access to his coffin um and then uh if he also says that the vampire has to read his spells uh in the coffin that rest periods have to occur in the coffin if the vampire has uh magical abilities so if you can, as players, find out where the vampire's coffin is, I mean, that's a great Achilles heel. Oh, yeah. If you're using that mythos. Right. Yeah, and I, I, I like what he's put in here. Um, you know, I'd, I'd probably have to create a vampire kind of off my own because I'm not as big a fan of the, the Bram Stoker ones. But I like the way that he set up a lot of the of the rules. Hmm. Hmm. All right. Isn't, wasn't Although, that one in the Best of Dragon, too? Uh, it might have been, yeah. I'm going to oh, have to read you know, through that again. He brings up one more good one, and that's what happens when you cast Raise Dead on a vampire. Ooh, um, okay. Well, because, you know, on the, on, the, on the regular vampire, Raise Dead isn't, is not going to work. Um, so actually, let me go to immunity, because I, I like another thing that he brought up. He says the vampire is immune to sleep, charms, etc. But he also says that suggestion will not work, uh, and he suggests perhaps that some more do not work. Fear, confusion, magic jar, cause wounds, disease, blindness, uh, friends does not work, (laughs) web, stinking cloud, enfeeblement, illusions, polymorphs, feeble mind, raised dead, reincarnation, and power words stun. I would think so, if you sat new vampire down in front of the TV show Friends, it would kill him, but whatever. <laughs> <laughs> well, yes. Wait wait for a daytime uh, scene. Friends don't let friends watch Friends. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> but go on, yes. Uh, yeah, so, so with all those magic uh, resistances, what he does say, however, is that for the lesser vampire, they actually are susceptible to raise dead. They get a saving throw, but that could be a way to destroy a lesser vampire. 
Mm. In other words, one that's just been created. So some good, some good uh, Achilles heels you could put into them if you wanted. Noob. Cool. <laughs> a noob vampire. Noob vampire. A noobie vampire. <laughs> All right. Uh, so tell us what you think about vampires. Uh, we just want to move on to the uh, most requested thing in the forum as I was just looking over. The NPC witch class, which, Jason, you did a lot of research before the show about. Yeah. <laughs> well, I read it. Yeah, that's that's a lot of research. <laughs> <That's right>? Research. <laughs> okay. Well, um, you know, the witch is interesting because uh, it's one of those things that you would sort of expect to have found in the character classes to begin with. Mm. And for various game-associated reasons, you know, it's not there. And so... This is not a PC class. This is an NPC class. Uh, it comes from November 1980, and uh, I'm not sure who actually. Oh, this is this is actually a pretty uh, authoritative article. So the author was Bill Mulhausen, but uh, also assisting with this article as editors Kim Mohan and Tom Moldvay. Oh, okay. okay. So good. So this is some good stuff. Uh, so the the uh, the witch, you know, appears from time to time in various uh, adventures. I mean, the most famous is Baba Yaga's hut. Yeah. Uh, the but that's a different witch. That's not necessarily what's going on in here. What's really good about the witch NPC uh, that they've created is that this witch is more healer, and uh, it's you know more in kind of the classic almost Wiccan sense, and they even bring up the idea. Of uh, you know the Wiccan um, tradition around witches, mm-hmm. that this witch uh, can brew healing things and magical potions and things like that, um, can actually read magic user, druid, and clerics scrolls. Uh, can do candle magic, brew poisons oh. and narcotics. You know a lot of stuff that you would traditionally think of with a witch. Um, has has. Uh, the witch has their own um, set of spells that they can do, and I'm actually trying to go back and see if they're whose spells they're using because. Uh, so is it? Is it do they cast spells like an innate ability, like a sorcerer would do in later editions, or is it still the same traditional way? Uh, it's still the same traditional way. It looks like I'm just kind of looking back through here. I actually would have expected them to be a little bit stronger than that because when I think of witches, they're uh, pretty tough, uh, you know, creatures. If you're thinking traditionally, like the the, the matriarchal types. Um, but as far as the uh, spell casting goes, it seems to be along the same uh, the same type of rules as a magic user okay. or a cleric. Okay. The only thing I'm having trouble finding is what spells exactly they are casting. So maybe I'll find that out as, as, as we go through it a little bit. Um, but this is, you know, it's a very opinion-based kind of piece. It's only, it's only about uh, two, three. Oh, here we go. Here's, here's some of the spells. Sorry, I missed out on a lot of it. They do have their own spells. So good ones like uh, Shape Change, Charm Man. Uh, hmm. There's a lot of candle magic they can do. And it's the kind of things you might expect. Things like uh, Truth Drugs. Um, you know, love potions, um, protection from evil or protection from good, all those types of things. So that's uh, really useful. And yeah, then there's a ton of great spells here. I completely missed this. Um, <laughs> so, so the the witches' spells they're sort of 
somewhere in between druidic and magic user spells. There's a lot mm. of things in here like speak with animals, speak with plants, um, hold per- hold person, hold portal, fireball. Um, when they get up to really high level, they have eight levels of spells, and some of their eighth level spells include reincarnation, um, rust monster touch, which you can kind of guess what that does. Whoa, that's a good one. Um, yeah, really. Then it gets really interesting. Some of the ones like wither and youth. So, you know, you kind of think of the mythical stories of a witch being able to uh, restore somebody's youth to them or to, to, to mm-hmm. wither some part of their uh, body. Um, cool. And then the one that I think sounds really interesting to me, which is temporary resurrection. Temporary. temporary resurrection. A duration of two... A duration of two days per experience level of the caster, a range of six squares. Uh-huh. Only one character or creature can be affected on each casting. The spell will cause the affected character to be brought back to life with full powers, no saving throw. Um, spell is reversible with temporary death, causing the affected creature to be rendered lifeless for the duration. Huh. Saving throw is allowed for the reverse of the spell. Um, so it's, uh, this kind of gets very Princess Bride. <laughs> You know, with the bellows, you know, I can get him. I just get his last words out of him. Jeez. He said to blave, which means to bluff. And everybody knows that he was bluffing. So you must have owed him money, obviously, to bluff. There, there you go. Yeah, Matt, our producer, is telling us that in issue 20 of Dragon, when it was back called The Dragon, Mm -hmm. uh, we had another witch class on page 11 of that issue by by Ronald Pear, P-E-H-R. Am I saying that right? Okay. Let's actually take a look. Page 12, you said? <laughs> Sorry, it says uh, page 11 on in issue 20. Because I remember it came, up, it came up twice, but I don't In issue 114. Oh. I think I even have that. <laughs> really? Cause the, okay, well, good, because the only one I Bless found you. was that Moldave one. But, yeah, I'm looking right now at the other at the other witch. This one uh, has – it's kind of similar things. So I see Wither and Youth are in there um, as spells that they, that these witches can do. Inherent abilities like brewing poisons. It actually looks like the very the very same witch that maybe was uh, expanded a bit uh, in the later article. So this is a really good catch. Thank you, Matt. And he also says, uh, issue one hundred and fourteen, page eight. There's a they re, there's a revisited version of the class. So huh, I'm going to yeah. have to check that because I know I have that issue. And this is one class that I, I never understood why TSR never included. In anything, but this was really requested by a lot of people, and they yeah. only, they only stuck in Dragon magazines. I don't understand why. Yeah, it never was really official. Yeah. Well, I mean, the yeah, you're right. This is a really good expansion on the uh, witch here as well. But the uh, as an NPC class, you know, the 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 rule or not the rule, but the suggestion is that you not uh, introduce NPC classes as character classes. I don't necessarily think there's anything wrong with bringing in. The witch is a PC class. I'd like to see it tried out a little bit. Hmm. I mean, maybe it throws everything off and it's completely uh, not an adventuring type of class to play. But on the other hand, maybe it uh, becomes a very versatile class. I remember there was someone in uh, who used to be pretty big on the old TSR. Like, I don't know. What, what do you call them? The Usernet forums? What they had back then? Yeah, yeah. Usernet. No yeah. idea. Usenet. Oh, you mean they actually had a Usenet uh, group of their own? Yeah, or what was the other group called? It was the Alt Forum, whatever thing it was called. Back in well, the yeah, day. Yeah, Usenet 
would always have things like, you know, alt rec. Yeah, news groups. Thank you, Matt. News groups. News groups, yeah. Uh, There was one guy who was pretty big on there called the Web Warlock. Mm -hmm. And he used to create various different warlocks and witches for all the editions of uh, D&D. So I I remember seeing various ones from him that were pretty good. So you might want to look his. They're still on the net. You still can find them by Googling it. Oh, sure. Uh, the Web Warlock is his name. He still uses that name till today. So, Wow. Wow. We're getting in the Wayback Machine there. Yeah, really. Well, actually, Google Groups might still have it. Google Groups archives the uh, Usenet going back to at least, I think, the early 90s, if not to the 80s. Wow. So, because, I mean, Usenet was around much, much longer than uh, the web was. Yeah. So you might still be able to find those actual postings somewhere. Hmm. Well, I know he but, included it on one of his websites maybe a couple years ago. I always remember seeing it again. I think it's Oh, on- here we go. Matt just found the uh, the news group was called Rec Games RPG D&D. There you go. Wow. So uh, if there's a server out there that has archived Rec Games RPG D&D far enough back, you might actually find them. Cool. Hmm. I know they're – I think they're on adnddownloads.com. I think mm-hmm. I've seen them on there before. Oh. Well, I think, you know, honestly, I think one of the reasons the witch probably didn't become a uh, PC class early on is that it's, it, whether it's gender specific or not, it sounds like it is. Yeah. And, you know, they, all of the classes that were in there were very gender neutral. You know, a fighter made no difference makes no difference if a fighter is male or female they've got the same attributes they've got the same chance of doing everything they do and it might just be that the witch feels like a gender specific kind of class just well, is she case. made of is she made of wood right oh, and she weighs as much as a, duck, as a duck then she's a witch yes <laughs> uh so anyway so the witch npc class uh is a really good one absolutely great as an npc to bring in and uh, we'll try to make sure that we can point to whatever resources we have uh, for listeners to find out stuff on that. You know, so thank- I'm liking the I'm liking the idea of using the witch as an NPC class on my next campaign. I think I'm going to do it. Definitely, I can definitely find a home for that. Yeah, I will absolutely. Cool. So, thanks to everybody who uh, requested that. Yeah, definitely. Thank you to requesting that. If you want anything else to request, I think we have a request forum and. What do you want to hear on the show are pretty much on in our forums. Otherwise, you can just post up something in the general show well, section. If we haven't done that. Maybe we should. I know. I usually post something that says, what do you want to hear or something. I, I'll do that after the show if there's not We one could there. be like Casey Kasem getting requests. This is your request coming to you live. Nick writes in <laughs> saying his dog was outside the other day. And <laughs> I <hate> those stories. <laughs> uh, God. And they were playing on the beach with a nice ball. The sun was coming down. Yeah, you can tell I was okay. On the radio. Yeah, we we don't we don't so we don't have a forum uh, specifically for that. But you know what? That's all right because I kind of like I like getting mail. So you know, write yeah. to us and tell us what you want to. All right, yeah, that's true. And you know what? Uh-oh. Write us more letters. I've still only we've still only ever received one letter. So, so. from the shadow. Yeah, and that was great. The let's shadow. More, the shadow. Let's have more letters. Uh, do you have yeah. that physical address uh, so we can give it out? Yeah, it's on the bottom of the website if anybody's looking <laughs> for it. Uh, but it's 200 East 10th Street, number 511, New York, New York, 13003. So uh, just uh, that's that's the role for Initiative Dark Tower of Madness where you can write to us. That's right. And uh, 
Jason will take the letter, scan it eagerly into the computer so we can all read it and, you know, show it up on the air. He will? Yeah. He will? Yeah, sure. Why not? Why not? Yeah. Okay. Okay. And that'll end this segment and uh, head on to the out. Well, that's going to put a wrap on the show as we're hitting about the two-hour mark now. Dun, da, da, da. Jason is cringing in his seat now for two hours. I can see it right now. <laughs> <laughs> well, a lot of stuff in our show. I think we've got a lot of stuff out there for people. We've got a request done. So hopefully we can add some stuff to your game to bring a little horror element to it. Yeah, everybody, please uh, go to the forums. Well, let's Let's go ahead and make some kind of a thread for people to report what they did. For their Halloween gaming, because I'd love. Oh to yeah, it. good idea, good idea. Yeah, go ahead, do that. Capital idea. That's a small idea. Uh-huh. Uh So yeah, and uh, so Jason, what's going on with Low Tech Con lately? We haven't heard much about that lately. Oh, you know, I've just been kind of putting that on hold for a couple of weeks while I take care of a couple other uh, projects. Basically, we talked to the guys at Web Comics Weekend in New England, or the New England Web Comics Weekend. They decided they don't want to do gaming with the web comics, which oh. is which makes sense. You know, they want to okay. keep it just that. So, no, no, no. I, th- I thought it was really good. They, they gave it some real All thought right. and uh, decided cool. to just keep it comics only. So That's we're going to do Low Tech Con um, as a standalone convention. And uh, we're going to be looking at probably October 2011. And uh, right now, the leading contenders for location are Baltimore, New York, and Chicago. So uh, waiting to see what we end up doing uh, with that. Baltimore, I could see. That'd be really cool. Well, Baltimore is good. I mean, I think it's fairly centrally located. There's a lot of uh, good places to do things. Um, mm. We'll just we'll just see, you know, kind of how that goes. Mm. I guess. Okay. And what was the super secret project, Jason? You ready to announce that yet, or are you going to keep us on hold? November 15th, I will announce that, actually. Uh, yeah. secret project. Yeah, so there's there's uh, something that'll be launching on November fifteenth, and I'll make sure to tell everybody about that. Cool. So I guess that's gonna throw us out into the wild now, and let's see what everyone else says about the show. Yeah. Thank you for joining for our special Halloween vampire blah 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 episode. Booga booga. <laughs> and we'll be back uh, next week with more wonderful things. Hopefully, with some guests, maybe. I don't know. Who knows? Who knows? Who knows what we'll be back with, but we'll be back. Keep it original, keep it old school, and keep it horrifying. Keep it spooky. <laughs> and you're spooky. And just to annoy Nick, clerks with blunt weapons. <laughs> I don't like sparkly vampires. <laughs> Good night. <laughs> Bye. Roll for initiative.